0: Have you ever noticed how much time, energy, effort people are putting into trying to make a name for themselves? And as we've already prayed this morning, in this political climate right now, there are a lot of politicians that are wanting you to remember their name on November 6th so that when you walk into the ballot, you'll have a good thought about their name and you'll put a check mark by their name, saying, this is the guy or gal that I want to represent me, whatever it is. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a good name for themselves so you think good thoughts about them when you go into the polling station. But politicians aren't the only ones trying to make a really good name for themselves. We have professional athletes or athletes uh, in general. We have musicians, actors. We have the entitled wannabes. Yep and pastors, by the way, all trying to make a really good name for themselves, jockeying into position so that they have a good name or making a name for themselves out there on stuff. They use Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. Uh, They use Pinterest, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I know what Pinterest is. But I know that they're out there doing it. And what they do is they're trying to see how many people will follow them on these things or like them, or pin their stuff, or retweet whatever's been tweeted. And and there's this whole thing going on where people are trying to make themselves popular via the social networking that's out there and available for them. And if that doesn't work, then what they do is they do this YouTube thing where they do stupid, silly things and usually hurt themselves, break something, crack something, smash some parts that should never be smashed, particularly guys. You don't get it? Talk to me afterwards. I'll help you understand. <laughs> but what they do is they become YouTube sensations overnight because they've, they've done this stuff. And everybody is trying to make a name for themselves. And sometimes they don't care whether it's a good name or a bad name. They're just trying to make a name for themselves. And the thing that's amazing to me is that there are Christ followers who are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to become popular. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get out there so that people recognize them and they build up some kind of a status for themselves. And to me, it's just kind of like, really, that's what you're after? That's your goal in life is to become popular? Because after all, as a Christ follower, God's already given you names. He's already got thoughts about you. Let me remind you and help you understand What God thinks about you. So just. Here's what God says about you you are God's child, you are Jesus' friend, you are a whole new person with a whole new life. You are the place where God's Spirit lives, you are God's incredible work of art. You are totally and completely forgiven. You are created in the likeness of God. You are spiritually alive. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's messenger to the world. You are God's disciple maker. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And you, you God's child, are greatly loved by the creator of the universe. Amen? These descriptions that God has placed on us is what Jesus had said, has said about those who are stepping into faith with Him, following His lead and His teaching. This is God's narrative about your life. This is God's narrative about all those who put their hope in Jesus as Savior. And you may be wondering this morning, am I really who God claims I am? Am I really the person that Jesus said? All those things, are those true about me? Well, before we move into our message on the Sermon on the Mount, let, remind, let me remind you what Jesus said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, it says this, Seeing the crowds, he, went, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now remember, there are two groups of people here. The first one is that we look at is we see that he has the disciples. And my question to you this morning is are you a disciple and are you sitting at the feet of Jesus to learn what He has for you today? Because the good news is that what Jesus says is of great importance. His words give life. They give direction. They have meaning and purpose. You can live by Jesus' words and build your life around them. Whereas my words, apart from God's Word... They're not going to do anything for you. I hate to bust your bubble for some of you who think, you know what, Pastor Ken's going to help me grow spiritually. Well, you've come to the wrong church. I'm not that guy. The guy that does that, his name is Jesus. He's the one that helps you grow spiritually. I just happen to be a mouthpiece for God, and I know some of you are going like, oh, no kidding. You're a mouthpiece, all right. And I get that. I understand that. Listen, I've had worse things said about me, so... I'm going to be a mouthpiece for God, and the difference between preachers and teachers who know that the only place to stand is on the Word of God, and those who are is is the difference is that there are other pastors who don't see the Word of God a place to stand on. They think that their words are really important, and you should really listen to them. Not. Not going to happen. So what we have is we have two groups of people Jesus is talking about. The Bible tells us right there at the beginning of Matthew 5. We have the disciples and we have the crowd. And the crowd, they're the people that gather around. They're in proximity of Jesus. And they've got a listening ear to what Jesus is saying because he might say something that would be really great and spiritually fashionable to quote to somebody else but it's not really something you want to live in your life. And then you've got the disciples. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus. They are there to listen to what Jesus says. They're there to take Jesus' word and apply it to their life and then go out and tell other peoples what, what Jesus said for them to do. That's, that's what a disciple is, and they're sitting at Jesus' feet, whereas the crowd, they're just nearby, in proximity, and just listening. So who are you this morning? Are you the crowd or are you a disciple? Because if you're a disciple, here's what you will hear Jesus say this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is a divine pronouncement, and it's telling us that there are two sides to this coin of peacemaking. One side of the coin, we walk and live as peacemakers as the Holy Spirit brings inner peace to our hearts. And the other side of the peacemaking coin is the Holy Spirit will make us ambassadors of peace. That's, that's two sides of the coin, and you have to have both sides of it. Now, the Hebrew word, I'm sure a lot of you already know it is, the Hebrew word is shalom. I want you to lean over to your neighbor and say shalom. All right, look, you guys are really smart. You're smarter than any other church people in town. You are well on your way at becoming multiple. Mo- you are you're, you're well on your way at learning another language. <laughs> so, when the word shalom is used, it carries a much deeper meaning than the absence of trouble from your life. What it carries is is it carries a meaning that goes into the whole account of the person, the entire person. So to wish someone shalom, God's peace, it means that your life is experiencing the overwhelming presence and influence of God. That's what shalom means. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He wants you to be the person who takes the shalom of God and dispense it to other people's lives, not just as a, a metaphor, not just as a good thought. You know, there are a bunch of new things going on with our English language, and I don't know if, if you hear it as often as I do. Um, so... You know, instead of people saying, I'm praying for you because they don't want to come across, maybe they don't know. They're saying, I'm putting up good thoughts for you today. Whoop-dee-doo, I don't even care. Because those good thoughts they are not even going to get through the, the ceiling. They're going nowhere. It's only when you pray through the name of Jesus to our Father that the Holy Spirit gets involved and does something for us in our lives. That's where it should be, Amen. So that's one thing, and um, the new phrase for saying you're welcome is, of course. I've noticed it, it's really kind of, I'm just taking a little rabbit trail. So, you know, um, people the age of my children, um, you'll say, thank you very much for that, and they go, oh, of course. They don't say you're welcome, they just go, oh, of course. All right. That was for free. Test it out. See how it works for you. So in this whole business of peacemaking, what Jesus is doing is now he takes the word shalom, God's peace, and he adds another word to it, maker, meaning that a person is God's instrument of peace. It's, in the, in the um, Greek, it's a dynamic word, bursting with energy. And peacemaker is the one who actively pursues peace in its fullness. He pursues more than the abundant or the absence of conflict. He pursues wholeness and well-being. A peacemaker is not, um, as commonly supposed, a really kind person, someone who has a laissez um, fair kind of attitude. Neither is a peacemaker always tolerant, nor is a peacemaker an appeaser. The kind who wants peace at any price, we call those peacemakers. And and those people are really the ones who step in and, and really don't promote the peace of God. A true, A true peacemaker, contrary to what most people think, is not afraid to make waves. They do it in a biblical, honest way. And so what is a peacemaker like then? A peacemaker is characterized by three different things. And the first one is a peacemaker is characterized by honesty. If there's a problem, they admit it. There is not the message from um, very many of our national leaders that are saying, we have a problem with peace in our country. They're they're pointing fingers a lot, but they're not the ones who are stepping up and saying, we need to act civility towards each other. We need to act with peace towards one another. We need to bring peace into these situations that are blowing up like crazy. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable to me that there were pipe bombs sent to all those leaders from our nation this last week. That's frightening. We have people who have gone off the rail, and now what we are called to do, what Jesus is calling us to do is to be peacemakers in a in a time that is um, heightened with all kinds of frustration and anger. I think a lot of times what happens is is that there's things going on around us, and our leaders are like the the leaders of Israel back in the old old days back when Ezekiel was a prophet. Because here's what Ezekiel says, precisely because they have misled my people saying, peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash, that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind will break out. Simply what's going on here in Israel is that the leaders are coming along, and they're saying, look, there's not a problem. Everything's fine. There's peace everywhere. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about those armies camped outside with spears and swords and shields. That's all peace. And and so what the picture is, is that Ezekiel is painting is that they're taking a wall that has been built and it has severe cracks in it, and all they're doing instead of repairing the wall and making it strong, they're, they're putting this little kind of like pastor of Paris in there, and they're whitewashing over it to make it look good. It looks good, but when the rains come, when the hailstorms come, when the wind blows in of, of the other nations coming or, or of discord, it will break down that wall. And there won't be peace. And we've had our heads in the sand the whole time because we're listening to our leaders who are crying that there is peace when there is no peace. Jeremiah said the same thing. He said, they have healed the wounded of my people lightly. Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That is not what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker has clarity and understanding a peacemaker is painfully honest about the true status of relationships in the world and in society in which he moves and and walks all the time it's his own personal dealings he's willing to admit failed relationships his own first that's what a peacemaker does he admits that he's at odds with others if it's that way He honestly acknowledges tension if others have something against him. He doesn't pretend. Remember, one of the things we've talked about as being a disciple of Jesus is that we put away all pretenses. We don't say everything's good when it's not. And yet we come to church and we create all kinds of tension in the cars. We're driving to church and we're angry and we're upset. Because there's all kinds of stuff going on, and when we get to the parking lot of the church or we're out on the street parking, we look at everybody and go, now, you guys put on a happy face and get into church and go love Jesus. That's not what a peacemaker does. You know, one of the greatest peacemakers in our church is Jamie Simonson, because there's so many times he gets up to welcome you and he goes something like this. Oh, hum, everybody, hope you had a good week. Mine sucked. <laughs> He's so honest about his life. He tells you just the way it is, like, hey, I'm glad you came today. I came because my life is a mess. Isn't your life a mess too? Aren't you glad you're here? You see, that's what a peacemaker does. He steps into the whole thing, understanding that having pretenses and making everything look as though it is really good is not only wrong and detrimental, it is spiritually unhealthy. It's spiritually unhealthy. You will not grow in your faith in Jesus if you keep pretending that everything is just great. Until the time you come and go like, My life is horrible. My relationship with my wife is on the rocks. I want to beat my kids into next year. (laughs) I'm sick of it. And then we look at somebody who comes alongside of us and we say, Can you help me in all of my discomfort? And they say, Yeah, let me lead you to the rock that is solid. And that's what a peacemaker is all about. We only find spiritual health as we're willing to confront the conflict in our lives. And sometimes we're even called by scripture to step in and and help other people deal with their conflict. That is not an easy task. That is not an easy chore. Those are difficult things that we have to do because most people want to avoid conflict. Most people do. There's a few people out there, you know what they say? I really like conflict, so I'm going to create it so I can step into it. And those aren't great people to hang around either. By the way, um, just a little side note here in this area of conflict and peacemaking Recent studies have shown that men are much more likely to avoid the reality of conflict. They're much more likely to stick their head in the sand and go like, yeah, there ain't nothing wrong here. No, everything's good at my home. I don't know what's wrong with your home, but everything's good at my house. Our church, our church is perfect. You know why it's perfect? Because I go there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what guys think. That's, I mean, that's their whole thing. They're going like, yeah, there's no conflict. It's not a big deal. And and yet the women are going like, dude, you know what? Just last night you were hiding under the bed from me. So don't say there's no conflict. Get out from under the bed and let's deal with this thing. And so we don't want to pretend that there's nothing wrong. We don't want to bury the issue. We need to step in and be truthful about what is there before us. And that's why sometimes... We're called to step into areas of conflict to help bring resolution and restoration to other people's lives. That's what it says in Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to the the Galatians church. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. It's no fun to be called into helping people deal with their conflict. Because I will tell you this right now. As soon as you hear one person's side of the story, you go like, oh, wow, that's bad. That's really terrible. Yeah, that that guy's horrible. I can't believe how bad that guy is. No wonder you don't want to talk to him. And then for some reason, like the Holy Spirit nudges you to go over and talk to this person, and all of a sudden you get the full picture and you get all of the detail, and all of a sudden you're going like, all right, you've contributed to the conflict with this guy and he's contributed to the conflict with you. And so we need to get together and bring peace to the situation because it's when we bring peace to this situation, the shalom of God, that God is honored and glorified. As long as you're in conflict, God is not glorified. That's why we're called to come and help out and be peacemakers to other people's lives, which leads into the second characteristic of being a peacemaker. A, A peacemaker is willing to risk the pain of being misunderstood and misinterpreted. You know how many times you will say something and what you say will be misinterpreted or misunderstood. And what happens most of the time is instead of dealing with that and helping to get that area cleared up before we move on to this one, we leave it alone, and we leave the conflict undealt with. And so it creates more problems. When you're involved in a conflict with somebody, and you have said something, don't make the assumption, don't commit a suicide. Okay? Don't commit a suicide thinking that that person knows exactly what you just said. Here is the... If you, if you don't get anything else this morning get this one little thing. Here's the thing you ask. What did you hear me just say? Because all of a sudden they're going to go, well, I heard you just say that I'm an idiot and I don't know my head from my elbow. And you go, no, 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 that's not what I said. I said I was the idiot. And no, so let's and so it's always making sure that we have clarity and understanding as we're stepping in to be peacemakers, and so it, you know there there's other pains of being a peacemaker, you know I've uh, I've grown quite accustomed to this little aspect of being a peacemaker, making a good apology. It's been probably about nine or ten years that I first really started stepping into understanding peacemaking, first of all, in my own life. And there is nothing more freeing than to be able to say to somebody, you know what, What I, uh, matter of fact, listen, I had to do this this week with my neighbor, one of my neighbors. We have this little beaver situation down on our creek, and it's causing a real problem. It's, it's uh, you know, and so we've gotten a... Um, We've asked a guy to come in and trap the beavers and get rid of them. Um, I won't tell you his name, but he does run the sound booth, and he has an elder, and his wife's name is Megan, and he has three boys, and he's adopting a girl from China. But I won't tell you his name. And so he's, he's trapping the beavers. But I had a conversation with one of my other neighbors, and um, in that conversation, I was rude, I was mean, I was short-tempered. I said things that I shouldn't have said. I did things that I wouldn't want anybody, I wouldn't want anybody to say. You know, I, I violated a number of things that God says don't do. Number one, you're, the golden rule, you know what the golden rule is, right? Do to others as you'd have them do to you. Not the old, the one from the 70s where it was do to others and, uh, and then split before they do it to you. No, this one is actually the one Jesus said is to treat people the way you want to be treated. So in my conversation, and a little bit of conflict I had with my neighbor, I did not treat him the way I wanted to be treated. I treated him worse than the way I wanted to be treated. I violated the golden or the, the royal law of love with my neighbor. I didn't love him as I love myself. I didn't express love to him at all. So guess what? When you walk with the Spirit of God, there comes a point when He pokes you about right here, really hard, and says, you did not represent me well. Go and make that right. Go and be a peacemaker. Go and confess your sin to him. And I did. You know, the funny thing is when you confess your sin to other people, they want to help you. They want to go, oh, no, it was no big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. If God poked me about it, it's a really big deal. So don't help me off the hook. I'm on the hook dangling there because Jesus put me on the hook. So let me dangle, confess my sin, and I'm going to ask you to forgive me, which I did, and he did. So I'm just telling you right now, uh, I've gotten really good at that because it seems that I do it a lot. So if you want help in knowing how to do that, come and see me. I'm an expert. All right. In, in this passage in Galatians, I want you to notice that Paul calls us to go in a spirit of gentleness when we are helping people resolve conflict. You don't get to go in like a bull in a china closet. You don't get to go in and just wreck havoc and just go in and and just do stuff and go like, yeah, I did that one right because I made a mess of everybody's life. They're not going to do that again. Well, they will. They just won't let you know about it. So here's We have these two qualities of a peacemaker. Honesty about the true status of peace and willingness to risk pain in pursuing peace. And these two beautifully anticipate the next quality, which is really a paradox because the peacemaker is a fighter. He makes trouble to make peace. He wages peace. Paul says that we're to do everything we can To maintain peace, pursue peace, and to live peaceable with all. Here's where it comes from, Ephesians. It says, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here it is. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager. That's the mark. Of a true peacemaker that Jesus says is a blessed, is blessed, is approved by my Father, who has a beautiful attitude about conflict and making peace, is that we do it with the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. in, in Paul's letter to the Roman Church, he said this: So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He also said it again in the same letter. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I want you to know something. There are going to be people who come into your life who uh, you get into conflict with, and you do everything you can possibly do to uh, step into peace and bring peace to the situation, to deal with the conflict, to resolve it, and they want no part of it. They want nothing to do with resolving the issue and finding peace. So they live in a spirit of unforgiveness. Now, here's the problem with living in the spirit of unforgiveness. When you are angry and you hold a grudge and bitterness and an unforgiving spirit against the other person over there, what you're doing is you're drinking rat poison hoping that when you drink the rat poison, it'll kill them. (laughs) And it doesn't work. The truth of the matter is, is that unresolved conflict in your life, an unforgiving spirit will actually make you physically sick. It will bring about sickness into your life. And you're wondering, why am I feeling rotten? Why do I not feel good? And you need to do a check in your spirit. And you need to say to God, is there some?" place where I've got conflict that I haven't dealt with, that I need to deal with, and then listen, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, he will tell you what that is, and he'll want you to deal with it. So, because a peacemaker is a fighter for peace, it in no way also justifies a verbal license to kill. You know, we live in a country, we live in a great country, And when you um, are a citizen of this country, there are rights that are given to you. Like we have the freedom of religion, which means that we can gather in this building together and we can worship and celebrate the goodness of God without the fear of reprieve from our government. We get to come here freely and do that. We also have what is known as the freedom of speech. And you have seen the ugly side of the freedom of speech over the last two years. It's absolutely horrible. But I am going to tell you this, that when you are in God's kingdom, remember, our prayer is for God's kingdom up there to come down here. And if we really believe that up there comes down here, then we live in God's kingdom here and now. And in God's kingdom, there is no freedom of speech. You don't have a right to say whatever you want to about whoever you want to. God says every one of your words will be held against you. So be mindful of the words that you're using against other people because God's going to go like, listen, I gave you a chance to bring encouragement. I gave you a chance to come and speak peace into the situation. I gave you a chance to bring my gospel message to it and you spoke ill of that person. You slandered and you gossiped. And that's what God says, don't do that, because in my kingdom, that's not allowed. And so we need to go like, okay, I may be a citizen of the US, but my real kingdom is the kingdom of God. And so what we want to do is we want to stay away from those things that will drag us out of God's kingdom and place us squarely back into a kingdom of this world. And so I want you to listen to the words of James about what he says about a peacemaker. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It, there is, there's this, this thing, you know, the, the, the truth about God's word is He says that whatever you sow is what you're going to reap in your life. So if you're an angry person, you're sowing seeds of anger all the time, and all you're going to have is anger back in your life. If you sow the seeds of discourse, where you're you're causing division in relationships, that's what's going to be a part of your life. If you sow in righteousness and in peace, that is what God says you will reap in your life. So what do you want to have as part of your life? Righteousness and peace or this other junk? A peacemaker is positive. He is tolerant in the best sense of the word. He realizes that we are all fallen stock and so doesn't demand perfection of others. He is humble. He has his ego in hand and is loving. True peacemakers are filled with peace themselves first. Honest about what is in their own hearts and sensitive to where others are. They refuse to be satisfied with the cheap peace or to say peace, peace when there is none. They're willing to risk the pain of misunderstanding and make things right. Peacemakers will fight for peace. And Jesus is the perfect example of a peacemaker. Remember what he said, He's dying on the cross. He called out to his father and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is the words of the peacemaker. And until you've experienced the fullness of God's peace in your life, you'll be desperate in being able to extend it to others. The reason why Jesus is the perfect example for us is that he lived up to his name. Now, a lot of times this next passage is one that we just see at Christmas, but, you know, use it other times. It says, in Isaiah, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's not just some kind of pie in the sky, kind of hoity toity thought, nice thought that we have about Jesus. That's the reality of who he is. So, We need to also know that peace is expensive. If you want to be a dispenser of peace, if you want to be a real peacemaker in the kingdom of God, it will cost you something. After all, it cost the Prince of Peace something. He paid the ultimate price. In Colossians, it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. That's where peace comes from. Peace comes from the blood of Jesus because that's the one thing that that brings reconciliation between us and God. There's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And our sins need to be forgiven. And it's Jesus' blood that shed on the cross that brings forgiveness in our life. That's why we can extend it to other people. And so the title, Sons of God, is given by God. He says that when we pursue both um, for ourselves and for those around us peace, we're acting like His Son. We are by the very nature following Jesus and striving to live up to His character. And therefore, when we are peacemakers, God says, You are my son, you are my daughter. So as Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And now we come to the last beatitude or beautiful attitude, and it's a bit perplexing. When you read it, you might say something like this, I'm not interested in that blessing. If that's a real blessing, then Jesus, you can just keep that blessing to yourself because I don't want it. And here's what it looks like. Jesus said these words, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, um, I want you to notice Jesus repeats himself here. And I believe the reason that he repeats himself is because the disciples are sitting at his feet and he says, blessed are the persecuted, and they're all going like, what? Uh, say that again. And then he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. You see what he does there? You know, he changes things. When you read through the list of Beatitudes, you see something that's kind of a bit of a comfort to us when in, in the list of things, which does two things. It identifies the area of life with, that needs change for me, and it sets the standard for seeking godly behavior that we who are sitting at Jesus' feet would say, I want to be like that. When I read those beatitudes, I want to be one who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's who I want to be. And we read that and we're going, yeah. And then the second thing that happens with every one of these beatitudes is that it's given in the third person. Blessed are the mo- those who mourn, for they... Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness, for they, it's in the third person. But as Jesus comes to this last uh, beautiful attitude, what he says is, the first time he says is, blessed are those who are persecuted. And then he changes it to the second person. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. And all of a sudden, the disciples are going like, oh man, what do you mean when we're persecuted? I didn't know that. And the crowd, the ones that are in proximity but not sitting at the feet of Jesus, they're going, yep, this is what I thought was going to happen. You get too close to Jesus, and he's going to give you something you didn't ask for, and you're not going to like it. And the disciples are going like, really? You're telling me that that's a blessing to be persecuted? Now, I want to help you understand something really quick here. That to think that persecution... Is something that we should step into and strive for and go after. That's perverted. Don't do that. You don't need to do that. I mean, some people just do it by, by nature of their own selves. They do stupid things and get persecuted for it. And, and you know, I, I read it. It's like the, one of the commandments. Thou shalt not fix stupid. And, and then there's no pill for that. But what is happening here is is that this whole thing is about being persecuted, it really comes close to our heart because is it supposed to bring joy? You know, I don't think it does. The truth of the matter is, is that because we're walking in righteousness, we will be persecuted simply because being like Jesus in a crowd of people who don't love Jesus shines light on their unrighteous deeds And nobody wants to be reminded about how bad they really are. And if you're living the life the way you're supposed to, your life will reflect to them the goodness of God. And in John, just John chapter 15 Understand, Jesus is just hours away from being crucified. And so he's giving his disciples the last instructions. And it say, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. You see, Jesus is saying that as you follow me, as you live your life as one of my disciples, you reflect who I am through your life. People are going to persecute you because they persecuted me. And the ones that listen to you, it's because they listen to me. And so what we have is all this stuff going on and we're thinking like to ourselves, do I really want to, to be persecuted? Jesus said that If you don't want to be persecuted, the reason you know you're not persecuted is that you are part of the world. If you're accepted by the world, you're walking in darkness with them. They like it when you walk in darkness. They like it when you sin like they sin. They love you because you're doing all the stuff that they're doing. But what Jesus says, the reason that you're under persecution is that you have moved from darkness to light, and now you walk in the light of the Spirit. That in itself will bring persecution to you. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, therefore, since I have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also ob- obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I don't know anyone in this room who is under physical persecution, who is being physically tortured. It is happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, but it is not happening in this town or in this country that I'm aware of. But that doesn't mean that we don't face the rejection of people in our community because of our faith. It doesn't mean that we We don't get left out of things because of our faith. It doesn't mean that we don't get invited to things because when the world looks at us and they see the righteousness of Christ, they think that we're holier than thou and if we come to whatever event they're doing, we're going to be the Debbie Downers. But when you live a life as a disciple of Jesus, there will be a distinguishing feature about you you will be living a righteous life, a life that says yes to knowing the state of your bankrupt soul. It says yes to lamenting over your spiritual condition, being willing to step in into being a gentle and humble person. You will say, I need more of Jesus, and you will seek places and events that will feed your soul. You will know the reality of not just feeling compassion, but actually doing something that helps those who are in misery and to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you, even when they don't ask for forgiveness. And because of these proceedings, approvals of God, you now have the desire for purity of heart, meaning that you will be single-minded in your pursuit of God. And as you... Know this pursuit of God. You become a son or daughter of God and become peacemakers at being God's shalom to those around you. Everyone who walks in this progression of trusting God will be persecuted. Everyone who lives righteously will be persecuted. There are no exceptions. But here's the thing. You might be saying this morning, I have no desire. I don't want to ever be persecuted. Well, here, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you the formula for for avoiding the whole area of being persecuted. So here's what it looks like. If you want to avoid persecution, then approve of the lack of morals in our society. Don't walk around being ethical. You need to laugh at the perverted jokes that our society tells. Pursue the stuff that the world goes after. Don't talk about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Act as if all religions converge on the same road. Don't ever mention hell and draw no moral judgments and take no stand on moral or political issues. And above all else, don't share your faith in Jesus. When you do that, then you will have a smooth sailing life. You will avoid harassment and persecution. And your life will be miserable. But if you want to know the kingdom of up there coming down here, as you sit at the feet of Jesus, make a covenant with God, that your life will flow out of these beatitudes, these beautiful attitudes, no matter what the cost may be. Then you will be able to say with the Apostle Paul to his young friend Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. Our Father, this morning, we thank you that you have laid out for us what it looks like to be a son or daughter, that we have been called to, to participate with you in making peace among those who have no peace. Give us the ability, give us the strength of character, give us the wisdom of your spirit to step in and to deal with the conflict that ruins our lives and ruins the lives of those around us. Help us to be men and women who take up the challenge of being peacemakers in this world. We ask, Father, that should persecution come our way, should rejection or harassment come our way, that we would understand that it comes because we are different from the rest of the world and that you have called us to live a life of righteousness. And so we pray, God, that you would strengthen our resolve to um, live for you even in the face of persecution and to live as peacemakers in a, a conflicted world. We ask all these things in Jesus' great name, amen.